بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد إن شاء الله to continue with the next wisdom the next hikmah from our book of wisdoms of Ibn Ata'illah al-Iskandari and the commentary by Shaykh Abdullah Gangohi may Allah have mercy on them both and all of our mashayikh and scholars this is wisdom number 100 and this is wisdom number 61 it's a very simple one but it's really profound and very full of meaning and there's several meanings and several guidances uh, advices that we can take from this essentially what ibn ata'illah is saying he's saying ma qadaka shay'un mithlul wahmi ma qadaka shay'un mithlul wahmi nothing leads you like suspicion there's nothing that can lead you on so effectively so convincingly even though there's no reality such as suspicion suspicion is so powerful if you if we give ourselves up to it and we're not conscious and careful and cautious it will lead us to where there's no reality while making it seem like it's a reality and thus, because of that, so many things happen. Because when a person acts against reality, against what's out there, just perceives that there's something out there. A simple example, for example, somebody is standing at the door of a train in a country where they allow you to open the doors in trains even while they're moving. Like in India, for example, or in Morocco. The doors can open. They sometimes leave it open for the breeze. Somebody just stands there. And the person thinks while standing there in that moving train that they're on their porch at home and when they get out they'll actually come into their front courtyard and that's in their mind for some reason they're in some other state clearly they're going to their death if they take, take that step out they're basically taking that step to their demise so while that's a very graphic example but there's a lot of things that happen like that in our abstract world in, in terms of our relationship with people when we perceive certain things, assume certain things, jump to conclusions about certain people, certain things, certain things they said, an expression on their face, a remark they made, a movement of theirs, and an activity of theirs. And we assume that it has a particular perspective. Now, there are different people in this regard. People are different in this regard. Some people are very sensitive to what others say in fact overly sensitive nothing is really meant there's nothing sinister in the motive there's nothing untoward intended but this person takes the negative reads into it and even comes back five days afterwards about a conversation that was had last week and they'll say remember you said this and the person thinks about it. did I say that yeah and this is what you meant I don't even remember saying it. Then they think back and said, well, I did say those words, but in a different context. And this guy's taken a completely different context. It was just a casual remark. It was completely innocent. So some people are over the top in that regard. And some people are obviously so laid back that they don't focus at all. So humans come with that because the one thing that describes a human being is diversity. Is that every human is different. Every human is different. That's what makes us so wonderful, because of that diversity. 
Everybody is very, very different. Two brothers are not alike. Your two children, if you have two children or three children, you'll see that there's huge differences in them, even though they both came from the same parents. Even though they may have been fed the same food. All it is is that one may have just lived for a bit longer. And when in the case of twins, they are so different. And they're only a few minutes apart or a few seconds apart. So that's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's qudrat. He creates everybody with a certain diversity, a certain difference, a uniqueness. So now if we're on the overly sensitive, then we need to bring it down to moderation. And if we're somebody who just doesn't get anything, who just sits there and listens and even the biggest hints are provided and they don't take any hints and they just carry on to their detriment, then of course that person is need, going to have to wake up. And there are people of shades in between and there are people who are balanced. And the Prophet ﷺ has the most balanced character and then those who are closest to him, those who have the most balanced character will be the closest to him. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us like that. So that's just a little introduction of how suspicion works. Now, there's one meaning that Ibn Ata'illah seems to have intended, which two commentators have spoken about. That. What exactly is this suspicion, this whim, wahmun? So the words that are important here is qadaka shay'un mithlul wahmi. Qada yaqudu, which essentially means to drive something. So a qa'id is generally the commander. Qa'id is somebody who leads from the front. And sa'iq in Arabic is somebody who leads from the back. That's why generally, even though the driver is in the front seat, they still call him a sa'iq because he's, I guess, behind the wheel or behind the engine, even though some cars have actually the engine at the back. So it's an interesting idea, but generally a qa'id is somebody who's at the front. So qa'da means to lead. And it's an interesting idea because you could lead an animal with a rope through their nose, a ring in their nose. So you're leading them on. And it almost signifies an idea that they have no choice. You are the qa'id. That whoever the qa'id and the, the leader is, literally leader, then the others don't have any choice. So who is this, who is this leader that this is discussing? So he's saying that it's suspicion. Suspicion is the most powerful leader. Others will lead you into a reality, but suspicion leads you where there's no reality and makes you, makes you feel like it's a reality. You, provide, you, you design your whole worldview, all your actions that you do, according to that. So that's waham, that's the idea of waham. Now waham, you use the word waham in many languages, it's called waham hogeya, right? Uh, in Arabic, it's an Arabic word obviously, it essentially means a notion, an idea, a thought, and according to some commentators, it's according to some understanding, it's actually the first, it could be, it could be, uh, I think it's more than that, but it definitely starts off as the first stage of thought that comes into the mind. In Arabic, you actually got terms for all of this. So if there's a fleeting thought, a thought just bounced into your head and bounced back out, you didn't really ponder over it, you didn't engage with it, it's called a hajis in Arabic, hajis, hajas, uh, hajas a shay, hajis, just a fleeting thought. Then there's khatir, which is a thought that comes into your mind and you think about it for a while and then, it, then you either dismiss it, miss it, it goes. That's khatir. That's a second level. I would call that a bit of a lingering thought. 
So one is a fleeting thought, another one is a lingering thought. Then if it stays there and you dialogue with it, should I do this, should I not do that? Is, are they really like that? Are they not like that? You actually debate with it and then it goes, you didn't really resolve to do anything with it. It's called hadithun nafs. It's when you discourse with yourself. It's a, it's a discussion that you're having with yourself. I'm sure everybody can relate to these levels of thought. And then after that, if you do have that discourse with, in your mind as we do with many thoughts, should I, go, should I go to that restaurant or not? Should I marry this person or not? Should I take this course or not? Should I eat now or not? You know, sometimes you're working, you're very focused, very busy, and a fleeting thought comes, I'm hungry. But then because you're so focused, it just goes out. Another one is, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. But you don't engage with it because you're so busy. And the third time is, yeah, should I go and eat now? I've got a bit more work left. Should I go and eat? Should I? So, and then, and then you get occupied again. And the fourth one is, hum, which means, yeah, let me go and eat. Or, no, I'm not going to eat. I'll eat two hours later. I still need to finish this project off. That's called hum now, which is getting close to resolve. And the last stage is azam. Full resolve, certainty, full decision, resolute idea, I'm going to do this. And then you essentially decide to do it. Whether you do it or not is now another stage, but you've decided to do it. It may then turn out that it may be re- your car may not work, or the restaurant may be closed, or something, or the person you're supposed to go and meet that you want to go and meet is not there anymore. These are the thoughts. Now, another way to look at it, is if you are pondering something, considering something, whether it's true or not, whether it's a reality or not, and you're 50-50 on both sides, it could be, it could not be. Did I miss my prayer? Did I not miss my prayer? I just can't make up my mind. It's just too conflicting. Do I have wudu or not? It's 50-50. And generally in Arabic, you call that 50-50 stage a shak. As we say, shak. You use that in different languages, shak. That's 50-50. If it's less than 50-50, where it's just the thought, just a waham, you call that waham. Less than 50% is a waham. Just a notion. Just an idea. It doesn't even go up to 50%. That's a waham. Now, if you do have 50% and it tips over to more than most likely then you call that dhan in Arabic. Dominant opinion, dominant idea, right? preponderated thought. These are all terms you can use in English, but basically you've gone over 50% now. Most likely that is the case. It's this way, not this way. So that means once you go over 50%, then the side which goes over is called dhan, the preponderated dominant thought, and the other side will become the waham. Because that's less than 50%. That's just a, a suspicion left now. So it depends on where you are. You may just have suspicion and not that. Not the dominant thought. It may, they may, may not be... Co- well, I guess in all cases it will be like that. So here he's talking about that initial stage before even 50%. It's just a, just a thought, an idea. But subhanAllah, it becomes so strong sometimes that people resolve on it. And they do things on it. They act on it. And they break relationships. They destroy themselves, they destroy others, they cause misery because it was in reality, it's just the waham, it's just suspicion. That's what, in reality, it's nothing, it's just a suspicion, but you've pushed it up. 
Now, what he's talking about here in terms of knowing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or the absence of knowing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is this is mostly related to, he says that what we mean by waham here, what the author means by this suspicion is something which is on the opposing end of certainty and conviction. Anything which is not a certainty, which is not a conviction, he takes it in a broader meaning that all of that is a suspicion at the end of the day. It doesn't matter how, how much it is. As long as you don't have full certainty, then in the context in which he's speaking, he says that is just going to be a suspicion. So now what he says is there is nothing that is going to drive you all right, towards people and their assets and what they have and flattering them and becoming a slave essentially to others, to things of this world, like suspicion. Now this seems to be totally different to what we were speaking about, so he's taking it slightly differently. He's saying this suspicion, this suspicion or this thought that is driving you so badly is thought and suspicion that this world can do something for you. Whereas the reality is that they cannot do anything except what Allah has decided. And that's the idea. It's based on the understanding of our belief. The Godhood of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The fact that Allah is the divine nurturer. The one, the provider, the sustainer. If a person misses that, then when they don't have that awareness of Allah, they don't have that firm belief who Allah is, they, they do have it. If you give them tenets of faith like Aqeedah Tahawiyah, do you agree with everything in here? Of course I do. But is it a reality? Is it something that you will consider at a time when it should be considered? When I need to be deciding whether something can, can really harm me or not, does it come to my mind that only Allah can harm? If that idea doesn't come, I mean this is a test with ourselves. That if I'm in a precarious situation and I'm thinking that the harm is going to come from a certain person, I'm really scared, I'm really frightened. And physically it looks like the guy is going to, you know, this person can really harm me because they know something about us or they're about to attack us or uh, our uh, promotion at work or being fired at work is in their hands. If we don't think about Allah then, that means we don't know Allah. Clearly, this is the apparent cause, no doubt. That can't be denied. This is not a fake world we're living in, in a sense. But it's not a fake world. It's something that we have to interact with as though it's real. But the reality, the real reality is Allah. So at that moment, we should be thinking, really, only what Allah does can happen. That gives us then some room. Because imagine, just think about it. If I'm thinking that I'm going to, like somebody sent me a message the other time that, you know, they've got an inquiry at work. And, you know, it could be serious. So, subhanallah, you know, if you now start thinking that this is it, because it all seems to be going in a particular direction, and I, I could be fired. You could be, yes, you could be fired. But what else is going to let you, give you some comfort? What else can assist you and help you, give you some hope? Besides Allah, nothing can give you hope. Because all the factors, the worldly factors are stacked up against you maybe. The result has come. And the factors are all stacked up against you. It's going to happen. Now what else can you call towards? Because there's nobody else that can help you. But this is where if you realize and believe that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the real controller of all affairs and the administrator of the universe and every small thing, nothing, not even a leaf falls 
all of that comes into your mind suddenly, just that opening in your heart, just that optimism, and optimism according to all studies and according to personal experience, tells you that it is really, really beneficial. A person lives by optimism. People avert sicknesses. They keep illnesses at bay because of optimism, because of hope, and the absence of depression, and the absence of these false pressures and things like that. Because they know that there's Allah. And that, for a human being, psychology is very, very, very powerful. Now, Allah may let us be fired, or Allah may let us carry on. Anything could happen. But we've called on to Allah, and that's the idea here, that this suspicion, this idea, that things can decide your fate, that is a really, really bad way to lead. That is something really bad to follow. Of course, it's a reality, and we need to work with it, but at the end of the day, it's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala behind everything, and Allah can perform some amazing miracles, because everything is in His hands. So that's what it is, that there's nothing except the absence of your understanding of Allah and thus your suspicion that the world and things in it hold the reins of your existence and your survival that is going to lead you. And that is why then you have to beg and submit and become enslaved and thus change your name sometimes to seem like you're something else, to miss your prayers. Um, Subhanallah, there's a person who contacted me from a place that has lots of Muslims there but it's not the West and there is missing a prayer Mrs. Maghrib prayer okay Fajr shouldn't also be missed but that's understandable the reason is that you might have overslept one of the one of the to be honest a lot of people who miss Fajr and who don't know why most of the cases that I have seen is because they sleep late they sleep late and then they want to miraculously wake up and somebody was telling me the same thing, what time do you sleep? And then you discover they're sleeping 12, 1, 2. Well, how do you expect? There's no justifications for that. The barakah is in the morning, that's our human clocks. It's supposed to be for that. May Allah give us a tawfiq to benefit from that. It's missing maghrib. And I think one of the reasons is that in the West here, you know, because we don't have masjids at every corner. So places where they do, they feel like you have to pray in a masjid. You can't just find a nice little corner and put out your prayer mat and just pray. Subhanallah. You know, I, I remember even in America, I had a place in LAX airport. I, there was a certain place I would go and just pray there because it was nice and secluded beneath a stairwell, right? If there's no prayer room. But there's some people, there's one person who traveled with me once, a friend of mine. He traveled with me from California to Virginia. And I said, you know, he was just talking about what he learned from the trip. And the thing he learned is that you can actually pray in these places. Like you don't have to miss your prayer if there's no prayer room. And this person is in a Muslim kind of community where there's lots of masajid, but because he's in a place where there's no masajid and he's gotten late of work, he's missed his prayer because he's not willing to go into a corridor somewhere or whatever and pray or whatever the case was. Of course, it's not easy to pray in an airport, but subhanAllah it is, it's always some place. And then you do have this feeling that somebody might see you, but alhamdulillah in the West generally people are a bit respectful anyway, so... So the idea is that we do not give up these things because remember, ultimately Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who's in charge and the way to survive in this world in the way that Allah wants us to and make something for us in the hereafter is going to have to be to make that connection with Allah through 
lots of dhikr and just reading the Quran with meaning to understand who Allah is. That's why the commentator says, وَلَوْ حَصَلَ لَكَ الْيَقِينَ أَنَّ أَمْرَهُمْ بِيَدِ If only this certainty can come to you, right, can be yours, all their affairs as well, just like your affairs, all their affairs are also in the hands of Allah. Their lives are in the control of Allah. And they are also too weak to even benefit themselves unless Allah wills. How can they benefit someone else then if Allah does not will? If you can think according to that, that they're a servant of Allah, I'm a slave of Allah, and only Allah, whatever happens, whatever Allah wills happens, then suddenly, can you see the, the playing field is different now? You're no longer inferior. You're no longer in that same state of vulnerability. If you're vulnerable, they're vulnerable. They still might have a position. They may still be your boss. That's fine. We have to respect that idea. But in terms of what really is going to happen has to be from Allah. It's to give us that optimism and understand to make us do a dhikr that everything in the hand, is in the hands of Allah. So when you think like that, he says, You will now sever your hope from them. Your real hope will be from Allah now. That doesn't mean you won't petition or you won't explain yourself to the person. You do that. But your heart is with Allah and you're trying to uh, explain your, yourself or your situation. So you will remove, you, you will become despondent of any benefit coming from them and you'll put all of your hope with the one who can give whatever we hope for. The Rabbul Arbab, the Lord of all so-called lords, that's the one we need to be connected to. Another way to understand this is, it's a bit more complicated. But everything, as we see around us, does exist. But their existence is a temporary existence. And they don't have to be around. Only Allah has to be here. Only Allah has to be existent for everything to work the way it is. You and I, the world could care less if we weren't here. Right? Imagine if Abdurrahman never came into this world, the world would never have lamented, oh, how I wish there was a this uh, Abdurrahman. No, it not make any difference. But if there was no God, there'd be no world. There'd be no Big Bang. Those forces would not have come together. So when you look at it that way, you suddenly start understanding the weakness of who you're fearing or who you're hoping in. Why not put all of your fears and hope in the one who it really belongs to, who really is the existent one, the necessarily existent one, the one who's always been there, pre-eternal, as one of the hadiths on the 99 names of Allah, not the famous one, the famous one is by Sunan al-Tirmidhi with the famous 99 that most people will be aware of, but there are several other narrations, other versions with a slightly different collection of 99, one is in Ibn Majah, there's some in Nasa'i, there's others. And one of them has the name of, for Allah, Al-Qadim, the pre-eternal one. That's always in, in existence. That's why the idea is that if the light of knowledge about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the conviction in Him is to grow in you, then suddenly all of the other so-called lights of what you feel are realities that you should be too concerned about, 
will suddenly all diminish because the light of Allah will be shining bright. You don't need candles when the sun is shining. It seems an absolute foolishness and redundancy. The sun is there and you put candles around the house as though that's going to do anything. In the Tanweer, which is another book by the author, he says, the, the thing which is the only thing, in fact, which has stopped people from running to Allah and putting all conviction in Him and strengthening that relationship is just the pull of the associations of other things, of other creatures just like us. So every time they, their hearts, they hear something, they get a moment of realization and they want to go to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that association, and there, are, there will be some very strong associations and some not so strong, but we all have, unfortunately, some kind of association with the world, right? That really pulling association, a jaziba, <coughs> a very attractive association. And everybody has their own associations that they can think about. That particular association, that relationship will pull the person. So then he becomes deprived of the real association with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's a struggle, you know, it's something that we need to do. There are some people who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala just gives it to. Some. But we can't complain if we don't get that. Because the other way to get it, which is through effort, is open to all. And it's scientific. Anybody who tries it will get it. It's not by chance. It just needs sincerity, just need effort, and just need to cut away from reliance on other associations. Sounds easy. It's not, but it is easy if Allah helps. So you ask for help at the same time. Some of the Arifin said, do not ever assume, don't ever ever think that you can enter into the divine court with Allah, whereas there's something behind you that keeps pulling you away. These same things that you seem to love, they're pulling you away from getting into where you really want to be. They want to veil that. They, don't want, they know that they may lose you. So that's why they keep you so focused with other things that they don't let you see the truth. So you're not able to get it. As soon as you get to the door, they pull you. There's a distraction. Hey, brother, there's a distraction. That is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, يَوْمَ لَا يَنْفَعُ مَالٌ وَلَا بَنُونَ إِلَّا مَنْ أَتَى اللَّهَ بِقَلْبٍ سَلِيمٍ Surah Al-Shu'ara. That's the day when no wealth or children will be to your benefit. Which are the two closest things to a person? Their children, their family, and their wealth. Because you feel that you get the greatest strength through those two, except the one who comes with a sound heart. So the juxtaposition here is of a sound heart and juxtaposed with your wealth and children. That means they are what you generally have so much association with, who you, who you do anything for, sometimes even the wrong things. So the Qalbul Salim is the one that doesn't have any of these fetters attached to it of other things besides Allah. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in Surah Al-An'am, now think of this, right? Allah says, وَلَقَدْ جِئْتُمُونَا فُرَادَ كَمَا خَلَقْنَاكُمْ أَوَّلَ مَرَّةِ right. When people will eventually, when we will end up in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and make, may Allah make that day the best of our days. Because if that is the best of our experiences we've ever had, then that's really hopeful. So Allah says that you will certainly come to us individuals, furada, just like we created you at the beginning. When we created you at the beginning, you had no association. If there was any association you had, it was with Allah. Because we had, 
in our embryonic stages somewhere before that with Adam alayhi salam and his progeny that ahd that covenant that took place we recognize Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala again that shows that there's no way to get to Allah except if we want to get to him before we're going to get to him anyway and be ready for that then we need to cut away from all of these things again enjoy the world in a permissible way while always understanding that it all it's all from Allah you're having a wonderful meal and you're enjoying it well it's because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala provides you that meal and provides you the enjoyment in there provides you the taste buds in your tongue to enjoy it provides you the eyesight and the psychological connection between your eyesight and the pleasure of the food and how it looks and the beauty with which that food platter has been laid out then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives you the olfactory senses of your nose so that you can further appreciate and those of you thinking what's that got to do with anything right close your nose and try to have a packet of crisps you won't taste the taste nose has actually sometimes even more to do with how you taste the food than your own mouth than your tongue so all of this is coming together your eyes looking at that wonderfully laid out you know five star michelin you know star graded uh, platter right with your with your nose uh, with, 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 with your senses of your nose and your tongue and then it goes into your stomach and then Allah is the one who's created the entire system of our stomach that allows it to go down and not just come back up like that then the bile and everything it turns it into what it needs to and then it allows it to go out so it just doesn't get stuffed inside the stomach it doesn't give you stomach ache there's no indigestion all of that is coming from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala how can you discount Allah from that process how can you only praise the chef Yes, praise the chef because we give due, due thanks to people. That's part of our religion. But the real idea is that it's all inside. It's all from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's the reality. May Allah make this an easy reality for us. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Duha, and you know this, أَلَمْ يَجِدْكَ يَتِيمًا فَآوَى Didn't He, meaning Allah, find you an orphan and thus He gave you refuge? Orphans are generally supposed to be the most vulnerable. They're young and they don't have a father. They don't have the support system. That's the example of some of the most vulnerable in our society, an orphan. People abuse orphans, unfortunately. That's why there's a huge encouragement to look after orphans. So Allah says that about the Prophet ﷺ, that wasn't he an orphan? Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him refuge. Allah has that ability to give refuge to the weakest of the weak. What that understands as well is that we all need to become orphaned of certain things for Allah to then take over. Alhamdulillah, if, we have, if we've had parents while we were young and we're not orphans, alhamdulillah, that's a shukr to Allah. May Allah bless our parents. If they're still here, may Allah bless them. If they've gone, may Allah bless them in their graves. But this is talking about beyond just having parents. This is having someone to look up to. Someone to get something from. Now if we've made all of these artificial things around us, our sustainers and our parents in that sense, those who will take care of us, then we've left, we ourselves don't want Allah to be part of that. So judging from this verse of the Quran, the guidance we understand from there is that become a yatim in everything. Become an orphan in every sense, except of course you, you, don't, you have a father, you, you keep that father, but in every other sense in everything else that you need, 
right? You become an orphan to Allah and He will take care of you. Just like He took care of the Prophet Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then actually uh, the Prophet says something very interesting. He describes Allah and He says, Inna Allah witrun or watrun wa yuhibbul watr. Allah is single, an, an odd number, a single, right? And He loves that singularity or that odd number. That's why during the tradition we are told do three tasbihs in your ruku' or in your sujood. And if you want to do more, do them in additions of two odd numbers. So three, five, seven, nine. Don't do ten. Even though ten sounds like such a wholesome number in the metric system of ours, but no. That's why things in the universe are seven. Odd number is there. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala likes that. So now what's going on here? Similar here. In what you want, Allah does not like anything that destroys unity, that encroaches on unity, on oneness. Because Allah loves one. He is one and He loves oneness. And that's singularity in this case. So that's why don't let anything else be affecting you. Because you're allowing somebody besides Allah or something besides Allah to compare. Then Allah says, okay, if you want them, then let you go with them. Let's see what you get from them. Leave it to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's why, mashallah, some people who've reached that status, who've really refined this, who've pondered this for a while and done zikr and done a lot, given a lot of thought to this and connected themselves to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. One of them said, Even if I'm forced, coerced and pushed to see anybody else, as a reality, I cannot. I see you, Nasir, you know. I see you, Ismail, I see you. But I wish I could say this for myself. But I can't see you because I'm seeing who created you. When I see you, then I think of everything else. Of how you came into being and the one behind you. Subhanallah. When I see anything, I see the maker of it. That's what Allah really wants us. And it's not difficult once you... I think the only, ex, the only, well, one of the most effective examples of that is the story of Layla and Majnoon or Romeo and Juliet. Or if you love someone and you can't have everything associated with that, it'll just remind you of them. You see some shoes that, oh, that's, it, it, you're, you're not gonna, you don't care about the shoes, you care about who they belong to. That's what it's going to remind you of. You see a book, you see a writing, you see a name that resembles that. Immediately your mind goes to that person. Then you look at, no, it's not that. It's just a resembling name. That's how Allah wants us to think of Him. To be our... Because وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا أَشَدُّ حُبًّا لِلَّهِ Those people who believe, the people who believe they are most ardent in their love for Allah. Ya Allah, Ya Allah, make this easy for us. You love us and allow us to love you. Remove these fetters from us. See, what it is, is that this suspicion that something else can do something for you is so strong that if you grade people into three levels, the awam, general people, general Muslim, then the khawas, which means people who are supposed to be more learned and knowledgeable. Then you've got khawasul khawas, the elect of the elect. That's the true siddiqeen and awliya, and of course the prophets. So this waham, it's so strong, this suspicion, this idea of connection with uh, other things, plagues both of the first two categories. 
even the elect ones because it's a whole exercise to get rid of it it's only those at the top who may Allah make us of those who don't have this problem because they are so besides everything they will interact with you they will feed you they will host you they will ask you even for assistance but they know everything is coming from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala it's not like that person I remember once a discussion with somebody he wanted something from me or, or something like that or somebody else and he said I know you can't do anything it's from Allah so I'm not going to give you the thanks that's absurd that's not the way this is supposed to be you know that's like saying in Ramadan we're told to say that if somebody argues with you to say that in, uh, I'm fasting right that is to show that we're fasting we shouldn't do this in a positive sense so there's one person, I'm fasting, I, I'm, 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 I'm fasting. It was like, it was done in a way to put the other person down. Or, whereas, as Allah says in the Quran, that when you come across foolish, uh, foolish people, then just say salam. So the idea isn't to say salam in this like weird voice, to kind of tell them that you're that person of the Quran. Who I'm so, you're supposed to just deal with it in a, escape through it from it, just dissolve it and just carry on so that you don't get involved. It's not to put them down with that. Because that in itself creates a problem. Subhanallah, how complicated is life? And you know what's the most interesting thing? There's a shaykh who said, Wallahi ma hajaban nasa anillahi illa alwahm. Walwahmu amrun adamiyun. Walwahmu amrun adamiyun la haqiqatala. That this wahm, this suspicion is so powerful, right? There's nothing else that veils people from Allah except suspicion, and yet. What is suspicion? Suspicion is a non-existent matter. There's no reality where it does not exist in a tangible form. It doesn't exist. There's no reality to it. Subhanallah, can you believe that something with no reality, yet it makes it seem so real, that it actually takes you away from the real one? So the lowest category, the general laity, they will never think about Allah, though they believe in Him, but they will hardly ever think about Allah throughout the day. A day will pass and they've never thought about Allah. You know, maybe even in their prayer, Allah did not feature. Things were happening in their life, but they never thought about Allah. They were receiving gifts or they were getting bonuses or they had good food or they had another good form of joy, but they never said thanks to Allah. They had trouble and they never thought about Allah. There was no concept of sabr. It was just entire focus on how to relieve it from a, from a worldly perspective. Just no idea whatsoever. That's the awam. The khawas, they do think about Allah. Now this is really interesting. These are people who've done dhikr and so on. And when they start doing dhikr, there's certain things that you start experiencing. Certain feelings of joy. Certain maybe unveilings. Certain realizations. They are not Allah either. They're just things on the path that you do certain things and something happens to you, right? You start understanding things. So you get so excited about that, that now that becomes your focus. That was just a, another thing that's happening on the way. You still remember Allah is still beyond. That's what I mean by khawas. Both of these people are led by waham. That's why we need to seek protection from that and we need to get higher and higher because there's obviously grades in between. So if we're 
at a very low grade, we need to get higher up. And hopefully we can read, reach the real sense before we die. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make this easy. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from us. And may Allah bless these people who've made this so clear to us. And I hope that after today, this has put things in a perspective for us. And above all that, it just doesn't remain just a perspective, but it becomes a reality. So this is how Sheikh Abdullah Gangohi now <clears throat> concludes it, summarizes this idea. He says, um, the words of Ibn Ata'illah were, nothing leads you like suspicion. This assertion is the proof of the previous aphorism. Nothing is as effective as suspicion for imprisoning man in greed and desire. As a result of suspicion, man becomes so ensnared in the net of desire, one imagines or suspects that a certain person or a certain thing will be of benefit to one. One therefore turns the gaze of desire to them, expecting benefit from them. Or one imagines a particular trade, profession or occupation to be beneficial for one. Greed then induces one to become involved obsessively in that pursuit. All the chains of relationship that are then fettering man's legs are then the products of man's imagination or suspicion. In some cases you could see this, other people see it very clearly that that's what it is. But they can't see it themselves. Some people who are just involved in Nobody's after them But they think everybody's after them Subhanallah They think somebody hates them But the person doesn't hate them You know that Other people around you can see that But they can't see that What a punishment What a punishment Spoke to somebody recently He says he doesn't trust anybody He's got some medical condition Doesn't even trust the doctors He says everybody's a liar Everybody I've dealt with is a liar. So I responded trying to help him from the hadith perspective. The hadith says that if you think everybody's destroyed, then you're the most destroyed of them because of your perspective of just, un, you know, just misunderstanding everybody. So I said, look, if you, my, uh, the analogy was that if you think everybody's a liar, then that means humans are liars. That means it's a trait within them that you can't escape because your, maybe your level of what you consider lying or not is skewed. That, that means, according to the hadith, then you must be the biggest liar. Subhanallah. So, but obviously that didn't go down very well. He said, how can you judge me? I said, I'm not judging you. I'm just giving you an analogy based on the hadith because the Prophet does not want us to uh, paint everybody with the same brush. Yes, there are liars in the world. But you can't then say, I can't trust anybody anymore in my life, ever, ever. Because that means, that means actually... That Allah has messed up this world to such a degree That there's nobody left anymore that you can trust anymore Yes, there's going to be a problem with amana Right? Uh, of honesty, there is a problem with that And the hadith mentions that But it doesn't mean there's nobody And then he said, why are you talking like a psychologist? You're not, you're not a, you're, you're not a uh, psych psychiatrist I said, I'm not I'm literally, I'm a human being who've lived in this world for more than 40 years I've had this experience and I'm telling you based on what I understand, I mean, do you have to be a doctor or a psychologist to be able to mention aspects of psychology that you've experienced in your life? We're not claiming to be psychologists, but there, are, there is just common psychology, there's common logic. You don't have to be a logician to use logic, right? You don't have to be a doctor to know that certain things, you know, will maybe remove your cold. But the interesting thing was that 
I said, you know, because I'm trying to, I feel for this brother because I, I know him. But he's just, it's a psychological problem. I said, but you don't even trust medical professionals. So who cares whether I am one or not? It doesn't make a difference. Because all the psychiatrists, he's saying he, he doesn't trust any of them. Now, okay, there may have been one or two problematic, but if everybody is a problem now, you're, you're stopping yourself from being helped and assisted. It's a really bad place to be, but it's like, how, do you, how does that individual understand? I wish I could help. Anyway, so then he finishes off, he says, all the chains of relationship that are fettering man's legs are the products of man's own imagination or suspicion. It is only the divine power through the means of the righteous which can free men from these chains. You see, that, uh, this is something that I missed saying, but he's reminded us that one of the ways to learn this is to be in the company of people who have that connection with Allah. I find that to be the most useful way, because otherwise it's, it's a theory that you're trying to put into practice yourself. But when you see and you're with someone who has that and you see them react in different situations, when they call out to Allah where we would not, we learn, oh, okay, that's the way. You know, that's the way to do it. Like you've never had the, the strength to pray in a public place, like in a concealed public place. You've seen somebody do it. Because a human, another human has done it and they got away with it, it means you can do the same thing. Right? So that's why being, trying to be in the company of a sheikh, you know, having a relationship, being able to be with them, that, the idea is that they teach you how to put these things in practice because you see them putting them into practice. That's why the true sheikh is the one who puts these things into practice. The ego inclines greatly to imagination and suspicion and remains very, fry, uh, very, very far from the higher spiritual realities. As long as the ego has not been purified, the elimination of this disease is difficult, is difficult. So uh, that's how we round it, uh, that's how we, we, we finish this discussion. Uh, uh, but as I said right in the beginning that another way to read this, which we didn't have time to expound, but I think I may have done so in another lecture sometime before, is that just your suspicion about certain things causes you to hate that and that, because that again is a similar. He's obviously taking it from the Gnosis perspective, but purely from a worldly interaction perspective as well. Suspicion is one of the worst things that can drive you to make you hate somebody, to make you love somebody for the wrong reason, right? It's just suspicion. May Allah protect us from suspicion. وآخر الدعوان عن الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم أنت السلام ومنك السلام تبارك يا ذا الجلال والإكرام اللهم يا حي يا قيوم برحمتك نستغيث يا ذا الجلال والإكرام يا خير المسؤولين ويا خير المعطين اللهم وفقنا اللهم اهدنا اللهم صل وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم يا الله We sit here today in this house of yours we ask you, we beseech you, we implore you. O oh Allah, O oh Allah, in desperation we ask you for your assistance. We ask you for your rahmah and your mercy. We ask you for your forgiveness and your maghfirah. O oh Allah, we ask you for your special attention. O oh Allah, we ask you for your inayah. O oh Allah, we ask you to assist us and to guide us and to protect us. O oh Allah, so long a life we have lived. O oh Allah, calling others our Lord. O oh Allah, without calling them our... We've called them our Lord while we should have known better. O oh Allah, we have not called them Lord by word. O oh Allah, but in action we have demonstrated that we have hopes in them, we have fears from them. O oh Allah, we ask that you make us independent 
of all besides you. O oh Allah, that you suffice us with the halal away from the haram. You forgive us our wrongdoings. You forgive us our sins, our vices, our defects, those things that are preventing us from being close to you, that are bringing darkness in our lives, that are spoiling our relationships, that is disturbing the peace of our homes and our hearts, that is bringing about turbulence in our lives, in our thoughts. O oh Allah, remove these problems, remove these fetters, remove these obstacles. O oh Allah, we think of these things as good things for us. But O oh Allah, all of these things around us, O oh Allah, we have to interact with them. But O oh Allah, allow us to remember you at all times. Make us of those who remember you abundantly and who thank you and are gratitude, have gratitude towards you with abundance. O oh Allah, bless these authors, these scholars, and our mashaykh, and those we have learned from, and those who we have benefited from, and those we, have, we are still benefiting from. O oh Allah, make us also people of benefit. O oh Allah, also accept us for some service of your deen. O oh Allah, make us the leaders of the guided ones. O oh Allah, make us forces for good in this world. Protect us from being forces of evil. O oh Allah, protect us from submitting to evil, from being convinced by evil, from inclining towards evil. O oh Allah, incline us to the truth. O oh Allah, make us slaves of the truth. The true one, make us slaves of you. O oh Allah, O oh Allah, remove the facade from our eyes, from our hearts and allow us to see things and the truth as the truth and allow us to follow it and see the wrong as the wrong and allow us to abstain from it. O oh Allah, remove this persecution around the world of innocent people. O oh Allah, remove the aggression, remove the aggressors. O oh Allah, teach them a lesson. O oh Allah, grant them understanding. O oh Allah, we ask that you Allow us to serve in whatever way is beneficial for us to serve. O oh Allah, you have knowledge of everything and we know nothing. You know the future and we don't know what is going to happen to us. O oh Allah, des des decree the best for us. O oh Allah, decree the best for us. And O oh Allah, allow us to be satisfied with your decree. O oh Allah, bring in our progeny those that we will be glad with, both in this world and in the hereafter. O oh Allah, remove the problems that spouses may be having with one another. O oh Allah, and grant their love and affection and understanding and mutual, mutual affection so that we can build better communities by having better families. O oh Allah, we ask you to accept our dua. We uh, ask you to, to allow us to complete whatever permissible needs that we have and allow us to be useful and profitable people in this world and to leave a positive legacy. Subhana Rabbika Rabbil Izzati Amma Yasifuna wa Salamun al Murthareen walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen wa Rahmatik.